Beloved, if you would please turn in your Bibles to Luke's Gospel, Dr. Luke's Gospel, chapter 8. We'll be looking at verses 4 through 15 this evening. A sower went out to sow. Let me just give you a a few words, selective words of context and um, instruction as we think about parables as a, as a genre, as a way of God revealing himself to us in his holy word. A parable is a practical story often framed as a simile. Now, you have to go back in your literature class. A simile uses the word like, like. So the kingdom of God is like a sower who went out to sow. Or a kingdom of God is like a man who found the treasure in a field, right? So you get the idea of what I'm trying to say. And this story, this practical story, illustrates spiritual truth. In God's sovereign purposes, parables reveal the truth of the gospel to some, that is to the disciples, those whose hearts have been prepared by the sovereign Lord of heaven to receive the word of God, to receive the parable and receive instruction in that parable. In this case, it would be the disciples. To the disciples alone, we're told here in Luke 8, Jesus gave them the secrets of the kingdom. He let them go behind the curtain, if you will, to understand the parable. But conversely, to those in the crowd, those who are not committed to Christ and his gospel, the parables were given. Now listen, the parables were given to conceal, to confound the wise of this world, right? To hide, as it were. That's why Jesus says in Luke 8:10, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now I remember the first time I started to grapple with this reality and just how coy our savior is and the way that he reveals himself and to whom he reveals himself. You see, all of this was to fulfill the prophecy that Isaiah has in Isaiah 6 and Isaiah's calling. Matthew speaks further to and explains. They have made their ears dull and they have closed their eyes. So God gives you what you want. See, that's what I often tell people. You, You don't want God to turn you over, to give up on you, to give you over to your sin, right? Oh, gentle Savior, pass me not by. I'll keep calling the son of David, until he answers me, right? I'll keep hanging. Where, am I, where else am I going? He alone has the words of eternal life. All right, so it's with that truth understanding, we come to Luke 8. Let's pick up reading in verse 4 through 15. Parables not only reveal the sovereignty of God in election, but they also reveal our responsibility as moral agents. He who has ears, let him hear. So let's listen to God's word because God is sovereign and we're responsible. Which is it? Yes. Verse four. When a great crowd was gathering, now Jesus is in Galilee. He's in the north by the Sea of Galilee. Perhaps on the, the northwest side. And the people from town after town came to him, that being the Lord Jesus. He said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. 
And some seed fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up, and it choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. Matthew will go on to say 30, 60, 100. He, that is the Lord Jesus, said these things. He called out, he who has ears, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he, Jesus, said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. Now he's speaking confidentially with his disciples. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path who are those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while in the time of testing, Matthew says, persecutions, afflictions, trials, they fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you that we can come into the holy of holies because Jesus Christ, the captain of our salvation, has gone before us, and he is there, and he ever lives to make intercession for us. So, Father, we come in our poverty. We come in our weakness, looking for your strength to make perfect that which is weak, that you might show yourself strong and mighty to save, that you might lift up the downcast and humble the proud, that Jesus Christ would be made much of in this sermon and this exposition of your holy word. Equip us and edify us for every good work, we pray, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, it's interesting to see the responses to the word of God, right? We all have seen how people respond to the Word of God. I can actually see how you respond to the Word of God. Some people are very engaged, right? Now all of you are getting, trying to get straight now, right? Locked on, you're smiling, you nod. Uh, I can say this because he's not here. Mr. Trumbo was a grand lister of the Word of God. He always listened so well. I was always so encouraged when I would preach and look out there and see Mr. Trumbo. He would always be engaged and locked on. It's been said that the congregation can preach the preacher. Terry Johnson says that in Savannah, and it's very true. And I do think there is some great truth to that. Anyone who's ever stood where I stand knows the truth of that. Others, though, you know, you're preaching the word. They're, they're not really locked on uh, for whatever reason. And there's a host of reasons. Sometimes they're just fatigued. They're tired. We are creatures, 
right? God understands that. He, he doesn't treat us as, as supernatural beings like angels, right? Who don't need to rest, but we need to rest. So sometimes we come, we haven't slept well the night before. We haven't made preparation to hear the word of God on Saturday night before we come. So sometimes we, we're not in bed as early as we should. Uh, but others, you know, some of them, some people just stare at you like blank stares. They're not exactly sure what's going on behind their stare. Um, believe it or not, some even fall asleep, right? I've seen drooping heads. I've yet to see anybody drool, right? Um, I remember in, in elementary school, you remember that? The little kids are so cute and so sweet. They'd sit there in that kindergarten class and be drooling like that and they'd drool down the sides. Um, but yet, I've not seen that yet here, so thankfully for that. You've been so faithful to listen to God's word in my tenure here, and I'm so grateful and humbled by that. It's a great responsibility that I take very seriously. Um, but there are mixed and various responses. Are, are we to expect this? Are, are we to expect that people will respond to the word of God when it's faithfully taught in the power of the Spirit with, in a host of ways, in, in varied ways. And I would say, yes, we, we should. Because the best preacher who ever lived, right, the Lord Jesus Christ, saw these varied mi- mixed responses to his own preaching. Well, here in Luke 8 and 9 through 15, Jesus lets the disciples, as I said, in on the secret to the real meaning behind the, the parable, the, the spiritual significance. So Jesus is the sower. He's the preacher, right? The word is the seed, The word of God is the seed, the explosive word that goes out, falls from God's mouth, and creates and does all that God decrees it to do. And the various soils that we see in this parable are the various and different responses to the gospel. But only one soil of the four actually in the end produces fruit. This parable reminds us again and again that the problem of unbelief does not lie in the sower. Right? The sower is called to be faithful. He's called to go out and to sow the seed faithfully, week in, week out, whether it's from the pulpit or in the workplace, wherever you are as a Christian, you're called to be salt and light, right? You're to be faithful to sow the seed. The problem resides in the hardness of sinful heart and the power of Satan to blind the eyes of people. The parable also reminds us that the faithful sowing of the word and the power of the spirit will bring forth fruit, the fruit of salvation, right? Some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. Here Luke says 100-fold. Well, let's look at this text under four headings, four different hearts, as we look at the four different soils. So what's the first soil? That's the hard heart. Then the shallow heart, the divided heart, and then the fruitful or good heart. Okay? It's interesting I'm doing this in the evening, isn't it? First, the hard heart. So Jesus in verse 5, the crowds have gathered, right? The mob, right? They've gathered. He's in Galilee. He's very popular. He's the miracle worker. Notice what he says in verse 5. The sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Well, in verse 12, we're told the disciples are pulled aside by the master teacher, by the sower himself, and he explains it. He says, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. This soil represents the person who hears the word of God, but the word of God cannot penetrate the hard heart. 
Beloved, this is the person who's hardened their heart to the things of God. This is the person the word of God likens to a hardened path, like a, a cement sidewalk you might see in Northside over on Noble Avenue, right? Or maybe here on Hanover for that matter, right? Perhaps this is the person who comes to church occasionally. Perhaps this is someone who comes because their spouse drags them, right? We've seen this as a session. We've seen all kinds of people come for a host of reasons to church. Maybe they come because it's a tradition, right? But they come with their jaw set. They refuse to listen to the word of God. They refuse to hear what God is saying in his holy word. They sit in church with that blank stare, right? They hear, but they don't hear. They never respond. They sit oblivious to the eternal realities of heaven and hell, right? They might hide behind intellectual sophistication, right? They might be drinking freely from the, the spirit of the age, right? The skepticism and the cynicism of today, the agnosticism today that we see. What's truth, right? Can we even know it? Well, the great irony is that these folks tend to view themselves as very independent, very self-reliant, right? They don't need the crutch of Christianity, right? You see, Christianity is not a crutch, Christianity doesn't help those who can help themselves. That's what crutches do. No, Christianity is resurrection from dead, <laughs> from being spiritually dead. It's not a crutch. It's worse than that. You're not just merely sick. Sinners are dead. They're hell-bound. Right? However, notice what Jesus says. He says that they're actually victims. What do I mean? Notice what it says. They're, they're prisoners of the devil. They hear the word and it falls on the hardened path and the devil comes and takes away the word. The devil is very active in their lives. Right? Whenever the seed is sown, the, the devil is at work to steal it away. J.C. Ryle, whom I recommend highly, when it comes to reading the Gospels, says this. He says, nowhere is the devil more active than in doing this than in the church that preaches the Gospel. He's never more active than he is right now as you sit there to the, listening to the Word of God. You see, Satan is busy while the preacher preaches. He's busy on the way home when you're, when you're talking with your spouse or your child or your friend, or you're walk, walking alone and you're pondering about what you've just heard. He's, he's very active, wanting to snatch that word right out of your heart. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, he has blinded the minds of unbelievers. You see, the truth of God's word cannot penetrate their hard hearts. The soil of the hard heart needs to be broken. It's like hardened ground. It needs to be broken up with the tiller, as it were. And the tiller God uses oftentimes is the tiller of pain to break up a hardened heart. See, this is how grace came to many of us. God had to get our attention. That's how he got my attention. He had to break my heart. He had to give me the very thing that he requires, which is a broken and contrite spirit. He says, I will not despise. Isn't that amazing that he gives us that? Of all things. C.S. Lewis, you know this quote. He says, he, he whispers in our pleasures but screams in our pain. You see, that's what he has to do. He, he has to get our attention. 
You see, sorrow must do its work before the seed of the word can take root. Well, next, the the shallow heart. Having looked at the hard heart, let's look at the shallow heart. Verse 6, Jesus speaks to the crowds, right? Before he speaks to his disciples on the side. Verse 6, to the crowds. Some seed fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Verse 13, pulling the disciples aside. The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while. And in time of testing, Matthew says, in time of persecution, time of affliction, trials, they they fall away. Here the seed falls on the rocky soil. It quickly germinates, but soon withers because it can't place its rock. It's, It's rather its roots deep into the soil because the rocks prohibit it from going deep and getting deeply rooted. So when the the Palestinian sun comes up on the horizon and that hot August day, it it soon withers because it has no root. It shrivels up and dies. How many of us here this evening know people who began well with Jesus? They eagerly hear the word. They appeared to receive it. They received it with what? What does the word of God say? They received it with, with, with joy. With joy, yet if they fell away when their faith was tested, when tribulation and persecutions come because of the word. Right? A situation comes along that tests their faith. Whether it's sickness in the home, an accident, the death of a loved one, or persecution, ridiculed at school. Right? We don't have very many kids here, but some in the back there, Beijing girls. Right? You go to school, you start to tell people you live for Jesus, and they start to mock you and make fun of you and scorn you, don't choose you to play in the games on the playground because you stand for Jesus. Blessed are you when men speak evil of you. Peter would say the spirit of God rests on you. That's why you're persecuted because God's spirit is on you. The spirit of the last days is living in you, the new creation. But those with a pretend faith, a shallow faith, they soon fall away. They're no longer walking with God. There's no staying power. Testing exposes their temporary faith. You see, but true faith, on the other hand, is proved genuine by testing. So when the regenerate are tested, and you're going to be tested, (laughs) that's that's the reality. You know, when the engineer designs the bridge, the bridge has to be tested to see if it will hold up to what it's certified to hold up to before they put any cars on it. Listen to 1 Peter 1.6. In this you greatly rejoice, though for now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You see, trials, church, are the gymnasium of true saving faith. If you want to grow strong in faith, you better be careful to pray that. Lord, look, give me a lot of faith. Well, you know where you go to get faith? You go through trials. You go through trials. You go to the gymnasium. You go to the why. God's why. It's always open 24-7, 365. He's kind and he's gentle. His touch is sweet. Right? His voice is sweeter than any voice that's ever spoken. But it's still his gem. 
You see, those born of the Spirit grow stronger through their pain and testing of their faith. The question is often asked, did these people have true faith and then lose it? Well, we know the answer to that. No, they didn't have true faith. They had spurious faith. There's all kinds of faith. The Word of God speaks about all kinds of faith. These folks didn't have saving faith. 1 John 2, 19 says, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. You see, these people Let me use this word. We don't hear this word. We need to hear it more. These people apostatized. They walked away. They received it with joy. They seemed genuine, but the fire of testing revealed the shallowness, the superficiality of their heart. You see, these are folks who are not rooted in doctrine. Perhaps they've had some incredible emotional experience. We've all seen folks who've done that. We've watched the TV preachers. Just all kinds of phenomena, quote unquote, miraculous things happening. All kinds of manifestations. But these people aren't grounded and rooted in sound doctrine, in healthy doctrine, in the realities of Jesus Christ and his person and his work. You see, they came perhaps for wrong reasons to church and they profess faith. The trials come though and they do a little cost-benefit analysis and they determine it's not worth it. John Bunyan says these folks are the folks that give God the slip. You know what I mean? Give God the slip. You know who gave God the slip? Pliable. Remember Pliable when Pilgrim left the city of destruction, right? Uh, Evangelists had told him, see city, yonder hill, And he leaves, he's running, he's got the burden on his back, he's got the word of God in his hand, and he's running towards us. And then all of a sudden, these two guys catch up with him. One of them's named Pliable. Pliable asks Pilgrim, where are you going? Pilgrim tells him all about the glories of Emmanuel's land. Pliable even wants to go faster. He wants to get out front of Pilgrim. Until... He and Pilgrim fall into the the slough of despond. Then he turns back to the city of destruction. I don't know, following this Jesus, I'm not sure. This is, you know, they stop coming to church. You know, they just kind of fade out like a dimmer switch. We've seen this, haven't we, Session? Just just fade out. Just people just kind of fade out. They're not attending anywhere. It's not that they stop attending here and they've, you know, joined themselves to another faithful God-fearing, Bible-preaching, pastorally shepherding, shepherding church, right? No, they just kind of fade on out. They give God the slip. So the hard heart, the shallow heart, now the divided heart. This is the divided heart, right? Verse 7, Jesus to the crowds. Some seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Then in verse 14, he pulls the disciples aside. Giving them, remember now, the secret to the kingdom belongs to the disciples, those on the inside whose hearts have been prepared by God to receive it. The crowd don't, doesn't get the secret, only the disciples. 14, and as for what was fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Saints, like the shallow heart, this heart also hears the word of God and begins to grow. 
Don't we see this in PDM, man? We see it. We see it all the time. Jail ministry, I see it all the time. The problem here is the word falls upon a heart that's divided. It's one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. They tried to straddle. And a double-minded man is what? He's unstable in all his ways. Just practically speaking. Right? Not, you don't have to make it a metaphor. Just, just try to do it. It's like putting your, you know, uh, Phil Riken, I think he used this, this example. He said it's like putting, staying on a dock and then putting, on your, putting your foot on the, on the boat that's not hooked to the, to the dock. Well, the, bo- the boat goes that way. Where are you going? You're going in the water. Right? That's what this person is. Right? Here the problem is the word falls upon a heart that's divided. Not only do the seed grow, but notice what also grows alongside the seed as well, thorns. They grow simultaneously, yet the time comes when the seed is choked out by the thorns. Notice this doesn't happen overnight, right? It's not like they come tonight and they'll be here next week. No, over a period of time. It's organic, right? I know we're not farming here, but it's very helpful to kind of at least understand the, the elementary understandings of how things grow and work, right? This is the heart that receives the word, but a preoccupation with many other things overwhelms it. Jesus mentions three things, three thorns specifically, cares, riches, and pleasures. Jeff Thomas, that faithful minister there in Wales, the Welshman, I think he just retired. I think he was in the same church like 60 years, preaching morning and evening every Lord's Day for 60 years. Amazing. Amazing. He calls them three giants or three monsters. J.C. Ryle calls them soil po- uh, soul poisons. So let's look at them really quickly. First, cares, worry. Initially, again, the person is jubilant, much joy. They have Jesus, an incredibly emotionally high experience. Once they come down from the high, though, they enter the world of cares and concerns and they begin to take inventory. The bills come, the businesses, the retirement account, the education of the children. And let me just say, none of these things in and of themselves are evil. It's only when they begin to choke the word out in the heart. That's where the problem comes. Notice the second thing. This is riches. This is material possessions. Riches are very seductive. They're subtle. So subtle, in fact, that one may not even be aware of the choking. It's like the proverbial frog in the kettle. It's 200. It's 208, and then get to 210, starting to boil. Now, it's just a small little weed at first, but you don't tend to it. You're not faithful to mortify it, right? Maybe it's something on, on, a, on a Netflix series. It may, you know, it's just not something we should be watching. I know it, it's good writing or whatever, uh, and then we try to rationalize. Hey, I'm doing it. I've done it. I speak from experience. Right? We have to be careful. We got to weed our hearts. We got to weed our marriages. We got to weed our homes. We got to weed our churches. We're always weeding. Because if not, those weeds will take over. Right? We need to be careful not to be obsessed with wealth. And you know what? You don't need a lot of wealth to be obsessed with. Some of the most covetous, greedy people I've met have been people who have absolutely nothing, don't even have $10 to their name. 
I'm serious. I've just been straight with you. Jesus says, Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. For he that will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. It's easier, right? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, there's some debate about exactly what that means. Was there a camel? Was there a camel gate and so forth? Well, I'm not exactly sure, but I got the idea. Camels are pretty big (laughs) and needles are pretty small. The eye of a needle is pretty small. I get that. So it's hard. It's impossible with man, really. Remember Esau. Remember him? He had that prize birthright red. Remember him? But he was hungry one day and he sold it. He sold it all for a bowl of stew. Oh, the heart of man. My heart. I, I, can, I can sit and judge. I can be, I, I'm Esau. Apart from the grace of God, that's me. I, I'm Esau. I'd sell it. Right? I can fall. Don't think I can't commit some sin. Without the grace of God, there go I. Beloved, there's nothing you can't do. There's no evil you can't commit. I'm serious. I'm very serious. There's nothing you can't do. If you've thought it, you've already done it. Let's just put it that way. You're without excuse. I'm without excuse. Without hope, save God. Third, the third monster. Close on the heels of riches is pleasure. Again, nothing evil in itself. Pleasures are the whispers of God, right? He does whisper in pleasure. He screams in pain, but Lewis is right. He whispers. There's nothing like a a good friend, a good book, a good friend with a good book, right? That's just, these these are pleasures, but they become idolatrous when we give them the wrong place in our hearts. You see, pleasures not enjoyed in submission to Christ leave us empty. They're like drinking salt water when you're thirsty. God will not allow them to satisfy you. Right? He won't. He, he loves you too much as you're his child to allow you to find satisfaction in a broken cistern. That's how he disciplines you. So it's like you're always wanting more. You're wrestling. Because you can't find satisfaction. It evades you. It's, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, Bono. Right? Remember Demas. Remember him? Demas abandoned the ministry, what? And Paul, for the love of what? The world. The world. Demas might have began with joy but he didn't tend to the garden of his heart. Three thorns. Have you done any weeding today? Have I? It's boring. It's hard. You have to do it behind the scenes. You do it before an audience of one, oftentimes when you weed the heart, right? You do it in the prayer closet. Search me, O God. Know me. Try me. See if there be any wicked way in my heart. And lead me in the way of everlasting life. You see, it's hard. Self has to die. Self doesn't die easy. Self is very resilient, very strong. 
Fourth, a good heart. A hard heart, a shallow or superficial heart, divided heart. Praise God, there's a fourth heart. Isn't that good news? Isn't that great news? Actually, the best news you've ever heard. Verse 8, he speaks to the crowd, right? Some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a uh, 100-fold. Verse 15, Jesus with his disciples in verse 15 pulls them aside. As for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience, right? Lest we grow discouraged, right? Not all is lost. What's impossible with man is possible with God. There's a soil that receives the seed and matures and perseveres all the way to bear fruit. Like the two before it, this heart receives the word. The difference, though, this one perseveres. That's why we, we teach as Calvinists, biblical Calvinists, the perseverance of the saints. That's why Whitfield was so slow about recognizing the experiences of a, a supposed convert. He wanted to see the fruit, the manifestation of the fruit. There's some merit to that. All right? before you pronounce them a saint, right? Not because you're saved by works, but, but those who are saved will work. A faith that saves is a faith that works, James says. Faith without works is dead. You see, this person's hear the word. They hear the word. Their hearts have been prepared by God to receive it and they hold it fast. It's, it's able to take root. It perseveres. The cares, the riches, the pleasures of the world, don't choke it out. It, it bears fruit a hundredfold. Well, let me just stop kind of there and, and, and let me make some applications. I'm trying to make some applications along the way, but let's just try to tease it out even a little more. Church, when we are faithful sowers, we're faithful to the best of our ability, right? We, we want to be faithful. Jesus, I want to be faithful. All right, I want to be faithful to your word. And you have the word, and you know the powers in the word, and you throw the word, you're, you're throwing the seed, we must not let the lack of response, right, the, the favorable response from people discourage us in our efforts. Particularly as we pray for our loved ones and friends. Remember, you're called to be faithful. You can't make it grow. But you are called by the living God to play a part. And that's the joy that he calls us right? Crooked sticks that he might lay a straight line with his word as we go out and we faithfully teach it, we preach it, we share it, and we trust God with results. One waters, one plants, but God gives the increase. So keep throwing seed. I'm going to keep throwing seed to my unbelieving family and friends who haven't professed faith in Jesus Christ. I'm not going to stop throwing seed. You keep throwing seed. And you know what? Not only keep throwing seed as you're sowing it and you're planting it, keep praying to the Lord of the harvest to give the increase. Because only he can, you see. Because it's, it's not a crutch. They don't just need help. God helps those who help themselves. No, that's from the pit of hell. <laughs> no, God raises the dead. He makes his enemies his friends, his children. That's what he did to you. That's what he did for me. That's what you must do for your friend, your relative who doesn't know Jesus. So keep sowing, 
the word because that's where the power is. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing what? Pastor Bullock? No. Hearing the word of God and keep praying. Keep sowing, keep praying, okay? One thing is sure, we can bank on this, and that's God's promise that all that the Father has given the Son will come. Isn't that encouraging? Not one will be lost. All those before creation even began, before the the twinkling of the stars, God gave the Son a remnant, a people, to be his people, that he might come and live the life that they failed to live and die the death they deserve to die. Before anything, they're his. He's not going to lose none of them. All who gave given to the Son are going to come to him. You see, saints, be assured that Jesus' sheep will hear his voice and they will come. My word will not return to me empty, Rick read from Isaiah 55, 11, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I send it. Now, you're not always going to see how that happens, right? I, I mean, I've had a garden once or twice in my life. It's amazing. You kind of go out there. Sometimes it's almost like you can see those, those tomato plants growing in July after rain, but very few times it's like, wow, that thing keeps growing. Like sometimes you look at your kids like Sophie or Adrian and see actually, wow, they grew last night. Most of the time in life, you, you really don't, aren't able to put a metric on it to see that. But God gives the increase, right? And it's not going to return void. His word is going to accomplish all he sets it out to do. And what I find interesting, and I'll conclude with this, about this parable is that at the end, it is not we who are evaluating God's word. Now listen. You know, we sit there and we listen to the sermon. I'm listening to myself preach share with you but it's really not we who are evaluating the word of God the text tells us it's the word of God that's evaluating us so how is your heart today are you a hard heart shallow heart divided heart or fruitful heart you know the thing about the Christian life you might be all of the same one day right? But on the long haul, right? On the trajectory of sanctification, right? It's this upward climb. It has its pitfalls, but it has a trajectory of of going to heaven. You know why? Because he who began the good work in you is faithful. He's going to complete it. He will lose none that the Father has given him. He's not going to bring you all the way to the Jordan. No, he's going to bring you to the Jordan. He's going to take you over the Jordan and he's going to welcome you into his kingdom. And the first words you're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Because you were faithful with his word. You were faithful to pray. Keep praying for the preaching of the word. Let's keep praying. It's late in the hour. For some of us, that's really true. Some of us not so much, but some of us are older. It's late in the hour. We're long in the tooth. Let's finish strong. Let's commit to doing that. Let's pray right now. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It accomplishes all that you send it out to do. Oh, Father, that you would have your way with us. We would pray this and ask this. 
Oh, Jesus, that we would be found faithful to the very end. We thank you for your faithfulness to complete that which you have begun. We pray in your holy name. Amen.